Welcome to the A Fire Podcast. Now streaming on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. Each episode features real and honest conversations with thought leaders from around the world at all levels of the commercial real estate and investing business, examining the ideas and questions fundamental to the future of our industry. Where are we now? What happens next? What should we do about it? How do we become better investors, leaders, and global citizens? For more, here's your host and the CEO of AFIRE, Gunnar Branson. In the fall issue of AFIRE Summit, the contributors are making an outstanding case for how we need to look at the state of things now in the midst of the COVID crisis and how we need to understand the future. In other words, we're all making the case for accepting change. Now, a lot of people believe the world will return to normal once this pandemic passes us by. And whether it's the economy or political system or the future of real estate demand, predictions of future trends are usually influenced by a hidden assumption that a post-COVID world will look mostly like it did before COVID. It, we all are describing blithely this state in the future as a new normal. And we all have an emotional need for a return to a past that may obscure our understanding of what is happening right now and what is going to happen in the future. So what is happening? Current thinking has consolidated around the idea of an acceleration of pre-COVID trends. And that certainly seems to be true with online shopping, virtual work, movement from high-priced gateway cities to less expensive secondary markets, evolving supply chains, and new technologies are emerging trends that have been around for some time now. But trend acceleration assumes that at some point, everything will go back to a slightly altered or augmented normal that looks like the past. And it's very easy to compare this crisis to the tragic and frightening events of 9-11, attacks on the World Trade Center in 2001. It, it interrupted lives, especially in New York City, but within a year or so, despite the loss of loved ones and additional security at airports, life and work continued mostly as before. Today's crisis, however, is different. Everyone in the world is personally affected. Everyday life is disrupted. The impact of other issues such as racial injustice, economic inequality, and climate change are now absolutely impossible to ignore. And the longer disruption continues, the more fundamental the impact will be. When people say trend acceleration, are they really taking everything into account? After another global crisis of similar duration and magnitude, life did not return to normal. Wars, economic depressions, and pandemics defined entirely new eras because fundamental assumptions changed. In this kind of crisis, one that lasts as long as this one, investing is terrifying. How confident could any investor be about their strategy in 1917 or 1930 or 1939? The longer this goes on, the more likely new behaviors will become permanent. 
According to a study I came across conducted by researchers at the University College of London in 2009, it only takes 18 to 254 days for new habits to be permanently established. At the end of 2020, there have been at least 300 days of us working through Zoom calls, of social distancing, limited travel. New habits have already replaced old habits. Even when vaccines and therapeutics become universally available, returning to a pre-COVID behavior may be difficult. Active participants in the market may have a reasonable idea about which asset classes will weather expected changes. Uh, think Class A office in Manhattan, uh, multifamily in the suburbs, or Amazon distribution centers just about anywhere. But every certain investment thesis will become less certain the longer this crisis goes on. More than once, I have heard active investors say some version of, this is a great time to invest. But at the same time, I hope I'm right. In this environment, it doesn't make sense to resist change. The world will not do what we want it to do, just as millions of tenants will not do what we think they should do. So instead of asking when or how we will return to normal behavior, it might be more instructive to ask, what are people doing right now and why? Here are a few observable trends. Working from home, travel, interpersonal contact. When it comes to home, according to surveys conducted by Nicholas Bloom, a senior fellow at the Stanford Institution for Economic Policy Research, 42%, or almost half of the U.S. labor force, is now working from home full-time. And a lot of companies, when they talk about a post-COVID world, are already saying that a good number of their employees will be able to work from home on average two to three days a week, perhaps permanently. When it comes to travel, well, for more than 100 years, companies have relied on salespeople traveling to meet clients and prospects in person, share a meal, make the case for purchases big and small. But what do those salespeople actually do when they're on the road? Uh, when you think about it, there are a couple things that come to mind. One, building trust in people and assets. And two, expanding their network. As smart people find ways to fill their book of business and meet new customers without traveling, it makes sense to at least ask how much travel and in-person connection is actually needed to sell. How much will we go back to old patterns of travel? Well, until this year, it would have been imprudent to make a commercial real estate investment without visiting the asset in person, perhaps several times. However, despite a significant drop in transaction, $68.4 billion of acquisitions still closed in the third quarter of this year. That's a lot of deals to underwrite when travel is so difficult. Investors everywhere improvised with trusted parties able to reach the properties, virtual tours, and very limited in-person visits. There was even one investor that told me that someone was wandering around an asset with their FaceTime on their video to be able to give a view to the investment committee virtually. Now, all this invites a very important question. How much in-person inspection 
is actually required? Are there ways that we will diminish that sort of visit? And what about interpersonal contact? Now, this is a big one. It's really at the core of what makes us human. And people are going to extraordinary lengths during this pandemic to see each other in person, whether it's in a Zoom call or the like, or in parks, on sidewalks, even in parking lots. Unfortunately, there are also a great number of people that are, for various reasons, ignoring social distancing entirely. And unfortunately, that's driving new spikes in infection rates. But it just goes to prove that humans absolutely need contact. But as they're doing that, instead of contacting a lot of people, they're spending most of their time with a close group of friends or a pod or with their family. Instead of going out, they're learning how to cook. How much of those behaviors will linger when this crisis lifts? After the Great Depression in the 1930s, an entire generation continued to behave the way they had learned to behave in a time of lack for the rest of their lives. Are we going to see the beginning of a similar change in priorities? Will we continue to live our lives closer with our families, cooking more often, and being at home? A year or more without vacation travel may change behaviors as well. It's difficult to believe that people will continue to stay put once travel restrictions are lifted, but will they travel at the same frequency? No longer in the habit of spending large portions of their disposable income on a trip or two every year, how long before they return to the frequency they traveled before, especially if the cost of travel is higher? These are just a few trends we can observe. There are many more, of course. But these observations should prompt important questions for every investor in real estate. Here's one. Should we change the process for investment due diligence? Are there sources of data that can better assess value, risk, and expected pro formas that do not rely on the collective heuristics of gut instinct of an investment manager or investor visiting a property? With new processes and habits learned in this time of crisis, can we improve that process? Here's another one. Will we continue to need more than 11 billion square feet of office space that we have now in the U.S.? Will we really need all those cubicles, desks, lobbies, and reception areas? Or can that space be used for something else? What do you think it'll cost to repurpose that? If workers are commuting less, will that impact parking requirements, uh, mass transit infrastructure, official office hours? How are we going to use those offices when we come back? What about hotels? Well, there are more than 5 million guest rooms in the U.S. Before COVID, more than 75% were filled with business travelers. Certainly, most of those rooms are not getting filled this year. What will it take to bring hotels back to life? How long before hotel demand goes up again? How many business trips will actually happen in a post-COVID world after a year or more of virtual contact. How will housing change? Now, with many people confined to their homes during the pandemic, migration to suburbs and the Sunbelt region of the U.S. have accelerated. On the other hand, walkability and proximity to services such as retail and office space are high on the list for generations 
that have learned to resist long commute times. Does this mean that demand for higher density mixed-use village-like communities and suburbs will increase? What will uh, retail look like in the new world? Well, according to Adobe Analytics, since COVID began, online sales in the U.S. increased 43% year over year. Of course, in a time of social distancing and stay-at-home orders, most people, of course, will choose to provision themselves online. But how much of that habit might outlast the pandemic? Do consumers actually need the 13.7 billion square feet of retail space in the U.S. right now? Investors have to accept that change has already happened. Of course, most people are uncomfortable with the adjustments they have to make in a time of COVID. It's important to realize, though, that every change in life, every new learned skill, process, or environment, it comes with discomfort. The more we learn, however, the more comfortable we can be with that discomfort. It isn't easy to accept the world as it is right now, but if we do, we will likely thrive. As Carl Jung once wrote, we cannot change anything until we accept it. You've been listening to the A-Fire Podcast. Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. A-Fire is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice through this podcast. No content included here is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information, including the A-Fire Podcast, may have been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable. A-Fire is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third-party information. The opinions expressed in the A-Fire Podcast are those of its respective contributors and do not necessarily reflect those of A-Fire. To learn more about the A-Fire Podcast, including underwriting guest opportunities, visit afire.org slash podcast.